If you would join me now and take your Bibles and stand with me, if you would stand with me and let's read Acts 14, 1 through 21. Acts 14, 1 through 21. If you need a Bible, you can take a pew Bible, and it's on page 637, 637. And now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands." But with the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycona, and to the surrounding re regions. And they were preaching the gospel there. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. And this man heard Paul speaking. And Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. And now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that are in them who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness, in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples... They returned to Lystra, Anconium, and Antioch. Join with me in prayer, if you would. Father, we come and our hearts are troubled, and yet we know where to turn. We turn to you. 
we turn to you that has each one of our lives in our hands. And we pray, Lord, that you would comfort, heal, and intervene in the life of our brother and member, Bob. We pray that you would surround Rosemary with your spirit, with our prayers, that, Lord, you would intervene because we know, as we just read, that you are maker of all things, and our lives are in your hands. You give us the next breath to breathe. You allow our heart to pump each second. You allow us to be sustained to even finish this prayer. And so, Father, we recognize your sovereign lordship over all of our lives at all of the times. And we're thankful that we have good news in Jesus Christ and that we can preach it, we can share it, we can live it, we can just gospel it, we can just, just talk about it and point people and let this moment right now, right here, remind us once again that we are not guaranteed of anything. We are not the masters of the moment, much less our lives. And so, Father, we pray that as your word is preached, we would hear it indeed as your word and receive it from our pastor as that which you have revealed and that which you have for us at this moment and this time in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we expect great things. And, Lord, we submit ourselves to it before we even hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've ever read the story or perhaps seen the movie of Sir Ernest Shackleton's effort to cross the Antarctic Ocean, you would have to agree that it is one of the most amazing adventures ever told. In fact, it's one of the best illustrations of endurance that I've ever read in my life. And it is a great, great parallel of what is required in getting the gospel everywhere. On October 26, 1914, the British explorer, Ernest Shackleton, he set sail from Argentina with a crew of 27 men on what was to be the first expedition to ever cross Antarctica on foot. Once their ship reached the Antarctic, Shackleton planned to travel by dog sled across the frozen continent, a distance of almost 2,000 miles. There they would be met by a second ship and return home to England where they would look forward to fame and wealth as heroic adventurers. But the name of their ship, the Endurance, proved to be more prophetic than they knew. Within a hundred miles of their destination, the ice in the Weddell Sea closed in around the ship, locking them in. They lived on board the ship in darkness for months before the ice finally crushed the ship completely. They took the lifeboats and all the supplies they could carry and lived in the open on an ice floe for many more months. When the ice finally broke up, they made their way across the Arctic seas in an open boats landing on an island that man had never stepped foot on before. From there, Shackleton took two men with him, 
for one of the most amazing journeys across 800 miles of the world's roughest seas in an attempt to reach another island where a whaling station was located. It was here that their journey had begun almost two years before. When they arrived on South Georgia Island, they found that they were on the wrong side of the island, and they had to cross the interior of the island on foot. They were weak, they were hungry, and had unsustainable clothing and equipment. They faced blizzard conditions, near hurricane winds as they crossed mountains that no one had ever climbed before. The island's inhabitants considered the journey impossible. Nevertheless, Shackleton and his two partners crossed in 36 hours. Their heroic efforts paid off, and they not only made it to the safety themselves, but were able to arrange for another ship to go back to Elephant Island and rescue all the men. If you've never read the book, or if you prefer the video option, I highly encourage it. It is one of the most amazing stories ever told. This was a dangerous mission that Shackleton and his men traversed. It was dangerous right from the start. So how did Shackleton recruit the men who would risk their lives to cross the Antarctic Ocean? Well, that's a good question, and there's actually a lot of debate about it. But according to some, the men who joined him volunteered as a result of an ad that was placed by Shackleton in the London newspaper. An ad which simply said, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, Bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. So who would ever answer such an ad? Well, plenty of people did. In fact, they lined up to sign on, and many people were actually turned away, including a group of women. Commenting on this book, Commenting on this in his book, Warren Wiersbe writes, If Jesus Christ had advertised for workers, the announcement might have read something like this. Men and women wanted for difficult task of helping to build my church. You will often be misunderstood, even by those working with you. You will face constant attack from an invisible enemy. You may not see the results of your labor, and your full reward will not come till after all your work is completed. It may cost you your home, your ambitions, even your life. Who would sign up? And yet, what we see is Paul and Barnabas signed up. That's the story we're looking at here in Acts chapter 14. And as we come to this place in our study in Acts, we find ourselves in the middle of another amazing adventure, the very first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And Acts 14 shows us the endurance of these two missionaries as they get the gospel from here to there to everywhere. Paul and Barnabas have already demonstrated their tenacity to proclaim the gospel in the face of opposition on the island of Cyprus and now in the city of Antioch, Pisidia. But what they face next, folks, will require even more endurance. Paul and Barnabas will face increased opposition as they proclaim the gospel in three more cities, Iconium, 
Lystra in Derby. Now, the question for us this morning is, big deal, so what? What's this got to do for us? What relevance does this have for me in my life as I go to school, as I go to work, or as a homemaker? What is the big deal for me? How do I take the amazing journey of Paul and Barnabas and apply it to my life as I seek, as I seek to fulfill God's commission on my life in getting the gospel to here, there, and everywhere? Well, Luke wants us to see a key principle that applies to us today, and that is this. Endurance is required. It was required for Paul and Barnabas back then, and it is required for us now today. Endurance is required. Why? Notice it. When opposition to the gospel increases, the need for endurance increases all the more. Years later, Paul would actually give personal insight about the opposition he faced in these three cities on the missionary journey. In fact, it's interesting, every Sunday morning, Randy and Audra do a great job providing missionary reports from the missionaries that we support as a church, and, and we see these reports on video almost every Sunday morning during our Discovery Hour class. Don't you appreciate the efforts to see face-to-face -face live videos of our missionary reports? It's a report from the places where God has called them to. Now, can you imagine... Imagine getting a missionary report from Paul the Apostle from this first missionary journey. Can you imagine getting that kind of report? Well, here's the deal. We do. We have Paul's missionary report, not on video, but we do have it in ink. And look what he writes here in 2 Timothy 3. Here's a portion of his report in verses 11 and 12. He says, My persecutions and sufferings. That happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And then in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, here's another portion of his report from this very first missionary journey when he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. Here's my report. We don't want you to be uninformed about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, don't you just love it here? Don't you appreciate how honest Paul is in his report. He tells about the opposition and persecutions, the trials and troubles that he endured, and then he doesn't try to hide from the fact of how overwhelmed and how powerless he felt and how he feared for his very life on this very missionary journey in Acts 14. But he also reminds us that all this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's the secret to endurance. Yes, endurance is required when getting the gospel here, there, and everywhere, but it comes from relying on God and not ourselves. And so let's look at the endurance of Paul and Barnabas in a tell of three cities. The first city is Iconium. And what we see in this city is reception and then opposition. 
reception and then opposition. Having been driven out of Antioch, Pisidia, Paul and Barnabas shook the dust from their feet, and they headed southeast about 80 miles toward the city of Iconium. Now, Iconium was a very ancient city that stood on a beautiful plateau surrounded by forests. And when Paul and Barnabas visited it, Iconium was culturally Greek at that time, and as usual, they began to proclaim the gospel in the synagogue where they would be welcomed and that it had an immediate impact of them proclaiming the gospel. Luke tells us in verse 1 of Acts chapter 14, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude of both the Jews and of the Greeks believed. This was no bland gospel, they proclaimed. This was no empty gospel. This was no half gospel. Listen, what they proclaimed here, it hit these people like a ton of bricks, and a great multitude of both the Jews and the Gentiles, or the Greeks, believed. But what begins with gospel reception soon ends with gospel opposition. Notice this coming up on the screen in your notes. Proclaiming the gospel resulted in divisive responses to the gospel. That is, some people believed it. In fact, in this case, many believed. A great multitude believed, but obviously not everyone did. Which then led to increasing opposition to the gospel. What happened next in Iconium was typical of what we have already seen in Antioch, Pisidia. Luke tells us in verse 2, But the unbelieving Jews, look what they do. They stirred up the Gentiles. Now, they only stirred them up. They poisoned their minds against the brethren. So what was the problem about these Jews? What's their problem? Why do they keep opposing the gospel like they just did in Antioch, Pisidia? Well, the answer is found in the word unbelieving. That word literally means disobedient. You see, these Jews heard the gospel like everyone else did that day. So it wasn't that they didn't get it but that they didn't want it. You see, despite the, the word of God's grace and even the confirmation of truth of the gospel by the miraculous signs that God granted Barnabas and Paul to perform, they still refused to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their hearts were hardened and nothing would change them. It didn't matter how true it was or how clear it was, they refused to believe the gospel. So these Jews, it's rather interesting what they do, they actually formed an alliance with some of the Gentiles in opposition against Paul and Barnabas and the gospel. Now, boy, is that not relevant for today? That's true today also. People, get this, people who otherwise have nothing in common with each other will unite in opposition against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Jews and Gentiles did not speak with one another. They did not eat with one another. And yet they formed an alliance with one another in opposition against the gospel and began to poison the minds of those who were being drawn to the gospel. These enemies of the gospel stirred into, if we can say it this way, the soup bowl of imagination, 
all kinds of lies about Paul and Barnabas to the point that the city of Iconium was divided. It was split. Part-sided with the Jews here and part-sided with the apostles. Whoa. Looks like a pretty short stay in Iconium. Guess it's time for Paul and Barnabas to kind of move on. However, that's not what happened. Don't miss what it says next here in verse 3. It says, therefore. Therefore, in light of the opposition to them, in light of the opposition to the gospel, therefore they, they stayed there a long time. Doing what? Speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace. Think about this. Paul and Barnabas had just been run out of Antioch, Pisidia, but they were not about to run at the first sign of trouble in Iconium. They stayed, and they spoke boldly in the face of opposition. And I don't know about you, but such boldness is needed in my life. Such boldness is needed in your life. Such boldness is needed today. We are living in a day where culture and people will try to intimidate you from proclaiming the gospel. But don't give up and go on so easily. One Arthur writes, Boldness is that essential quality about which nothing significant can be accomplished for the gospel. Boldness is what enables believers to persist in the face of opposition. And so like Paul and Barnabas, stand your ground and proclaim the gospel boldly, knowing that if they hate you, they hated who first? Yeah, they hated our Lord first. Finally, however, the animosity, the hostility, rose to such a level that it appeared wise to leave. Notice what it says in verses 5 and 7. It says, And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers, to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. So Paul and Barnabas were bold, but they weren't foolish. Lord protects his servants, but he wants us to use some sanctified common sense at the same time. And so these two missionaries departed due to the increasing opposition here in the city of Iconium. As one commentator notes, at times it is best to suffer as martyrs, at other times to seek safety and to resume work when the storm is spent. And so before we move on to the next city, notice the chart there in your notes coming up on the screen where it says stages of increasing opposition. And just look at this here for a moment. And what you'll see is that we are facing the same stages of increasing opposition as Paul and Barnabas faced. You look at stage one and stage two, where the action is informed decision against Christ. We have that in our day. We also have stage two, public campaign against Christianity. Folks, that, that's taking place in our, in our country. We are in the midst of stage one and stage two, and we are moving quickly into stage three, where there is intimidation of Christians. And I believe it won't be long before we move into stage four, where we face the elimination of Christians, like Christians are facing in the Middle East and other parts of the world. And the question is, how 
will I respond? How will you respond to such increasing opposition? Will you be silenced at the first sign of opposition, or will we speak boldly in the face of increasing opposition like Paul and Barnabas did? And as you ponder your own answer, remember what we learned last Sunday, that the gospel is what? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, and it can't be stopped despite the increasing opposition that we face. Why? Because God will fulfill his redemption plan for mankind. The question is, will we be part of it? Paul and Barnabas have now been booted out of two cities back to back, but they kept going the distance. They kept proclaiming the gospel, and this time they're doing it in the city of Lystra, which brings us to number two. And what we see here in this tell of three cities is admiration and then persecution. Now, Lystra was a very small town. It was a small town about 20 miles southeast of Iconium. And some people may even wonder why Paul and Barnabas would even bother with this town since it was basically just a, a Roman frontier outpost. Most of the people were uneducated, half-barbarous, Lyconians who had their, even their own language. And yet Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel to these people too. Why? Because they were a people group who needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is for everyone, and everyone needs to hear the gospel. And so God directed them to go to this small podunk town. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And we know that some of these people did believe the gospel as a result of Paul and Barnabas preaching the gospel here, because when Paul returns to Lystra, he does so to strengthen the disciples there in this small town. Now, apparently there wasn't a synagogue in Lystra, so Paul and Barnabas started preaching in the marketplace. And let me tell you, their ministry got off to a flying start with the healing of a crippled man. Look at this miracle in verses 8 through 10. It said, In Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. So here's a man crippled from birth, and he's sitting, and he's listening to Paul proclaim the gospel. And somehow Paul could see the gospel's impact on this man, and that God was beginning to grant him faith to believe. And in this man's case, this gift of his faith in Jesus would be coupled with the gift of healing. And Paul says to him, stand up. Get up from your feet. And though he's never walked a day in his life, he jumps up and starts walking for the very first time. Now, that is amazing. This is an amazing miracle demonstrating both the, the power of God and proving Paul's apostleship. There's just one problem. When the crowd here in Lystra sees this miracle, they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas as, as Greek gods. Look at verse 11 and 12. This is so interesting. It says, now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. 
And Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And so what we're seeing here is this great admiration for Paul and Barnabas on this day. In fact, Paul's miracle, combined now with Greek mythology, led to the people's attempt to worship Paul and Barnabas. Now you need to know that Lystra, it was totally caught up in Greek mythology. They were consumed with the worship of the Greek gods Zeus and Hermes. In fact, according to verse 13, they even had a temple that was dedicated to Zeus just outside the city. By the way, Zeus was considered the chief god of the Greek pantheon, and Hermes was his son and the spokesman. It also helps to know that the people believed in a local legend here, a local myth. And the myth, according to the legend, it said this, that one day Zeus and Hermes, they once came to their town in Lystra, disguised as mortals, seeking lodging. And though they asked a thousand homes to let them in, let them stay with them, no one would take them in. Finally, a poor elderly couple welcomed them in. And in appreciation, the gods rewarded this couple, but be destroyed all the other homes who didn't take them in. That's the legend they believed in. These superstitious people just witnessed an incredible miracle, the kind of miracle that only a god could perform. And they were right in that respect. They just had the wrong god. And nevertheless, the people were determined not to make the same mistake twice. And so they began shouting in their own language, the gods are here, the gods are here. And at this point, Paul and Barnabas still didn't know what was happening. In fact, it's not until verse 13 that they get the picture. When verse 13 it says, Then the priests of Zeus, whose temple was in front of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Now they understood what was happening. And let me tell you, Paul and Barnabas were horrified by this inappropriate worship. This was sacrilege. So how do you think Paul and Barnabas responded to all this? Well, notice their response. They refused it. They refused this misplaced worship, and instead they refocused it toward God, urging the people to turn from false gods to the living God. Look what it says here in verses 14 through 17. This is incredible. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things or worthless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all those things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways, Nevertheless, he did not leave them, leave himself without witness, and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, fulfilling our hearts with food and gladness. And so what's going on here is after tearing their clothes, and, and the reason they did that, that was to show the seriousness of such improper worship, misplaced worship, Paul then uses this very situation to urge the people to turn from their false gods to the one true living God. Now, what's interesting here is how Paul adapts his message to his audience. 
Can you imagine Paul quoting the Old Testament to these pagans like he did to the Jews in the synagogue at Antioch Pisidia? That wouldn't have made any sense to these people. Why? Because these people here in Lystra, they knew nothing of the Old Testament. And so where do you begin with people like this? Well, Paul starts with something they could relate to, creation, rather than something they couldn't relate to, and that is the scriptures. And in doing so, Paul was declaring to them biblical truth which, without actually citing the scriptures. Paul actually, in doing so, he points out three biblical truths about God as the creator. And the first is, Paul says that behind creation, there is just one living God. There is not a multitude of powerless false gods. And what's interesting here is Paul affirms creationism is truth. Now just think about that for a moment, because we live in a day and age and in a culture in which creationism is up for grabs. It's a doctrine in which it's being punted on, even by professing believers. And yet Paul here, to a group of people who have no knowledge of the scriptures, isn't punting on creationism. He is affirming it. He is affirming that there is a God who created everything. And then he, out of that truth, that God is the creator, he then explains how God, in his sovereignty, permitted people to walk in their own ways, which explains why there's so much evil and suffering in the world, because people have chosen to turn their backs on God and live their own life. And when we choose to live our own life and go our own way, the result is sinfulness, and the consequences are destruction. And that's why we see the evil running rampant in our world today. It is a result of this. But Paul then says that despite all of this rebellion by mankind, rebellion against God as the creator, God did not leave them without a, quote, witness. In other words, God has shown his love for mankind by giving them rain for their crops, providing them with food, and satisfying their hearts with joy. What a marvelous declaration of the truth about God. Paul, in other words, is saying this. He said, do you realize, do you know who gave you all that you have? Do you know who satisfies your heart with good things? Do you know who is behind all of this? It's the one true living God. And in giving all these things, God has given witness about himself to these people. Folks, this is the God all people know from creation, even though many people deny this truth about God. Paul would later, he would emphasize this same truth in Romans chapter 1, 19 through 23, when he would write, since what, be, what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And that's exactly what Paul was seeing with these people in Lystra. In other words, the witness of creation, Paul says, shouts for the existence of a creator. And so every person knows more about God than they care to admit. But suppressing the truth does not destroy the truth. And rejecting the truth does not dismiss the consequences. And this is why creationism must always lead to Jesus Christ. You see, the witness of creation is sufficient, God says. Through the Apostle Paul, creationism is sufficient to condemn people for their rebellion against God. But it is not sufficient to save them. Why? Because people need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Creationism won't save you. This is why we proclaim the truth about God. And if need be, we start in Genesis. And then we also progress because what is true about God in Genesis has to lead to Jesus Christ as the answer for our redemption. And that's why we proclaim, yes, the truth about God and his truth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Luke says in verse 18 then, and with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. And so Paul and Barnabas barely managed to stop the pagan barbecue in their honor. But they couldn't stop how quickly the people's opinion of them would change. Look what happens next in verse 19. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Talk about a mob rule. It's almost, you can almost visualize the images of this because all you got to do is turn on your TV. What we see here in Lystra is admiration one day and then persecution the next day. At the pers persuasion of some unbelieving Jews, which is what's going on in our country today, at the persuasion of a handful of a few, the same people who wanted to worship Paul stoned him and left him for dead outside the city. You say, well, where did this mob of unbelieving Jews come from? Oh, that's interesting, too. They traveled, get this, from Antioch to Syria, a hundred miles away, along from Iconium, which was 20 miles away. So it seems their hostility against the gospel has now reached its pinnacle, has reached its climax as they incite this crowd to riot against Paul. The stoning that was plotted in Iconium has now taken place in Lystra. And just think about stoning. What a horrible way to die. Can you imagine being pelted, not with little pellets, but with stones? As the rocks crashed against Paul's body and head, I can't help but wonder if his mind flashed back to Stephen's stoning, in which he stood by and watched. Whatever was going through Paul's mind 
that afternoon in Lystra as the rocks are pounding against his body. His body was bloody and it was broken. It was dragged outside the city and it was left for dead. And the new disciples gathered around Paul's body, grieving and weeping, thinking he was dead. But then Luke adds in this breathtaking fashion here in verse 20 that Paul rose up and went into the city. Now this is amazing on so many levels. What a miracle of immediate healing. Now I don't believe it was resurrection, but more of his physical restoration. And what courage to re-enter a city in which the people had just tried to kill him. But also, what a witness to these people in Lystra. Such courage, such tenacity is surely meant to challenge us even today. Have we ever displayed such courage in the face of such opposition? Oh, we ought to pray. When it comes time for us to respond here, we ought to pray that in similar situations, God would enable us to do the same. On any level, this is a remarkable testimony to the radical change that had taken place in Paul's life. Think about it. For Paul, the gospel is something now that's worth dying for, whereas previously it was something worth killing others for. But now no sacrifice is too great for the cause of Jesus Christ. He continues on. He endures through it all. Now, let's be honest, if we were Paul, we would have had told Barnabas, you know, Barnabas, I, th I, th I think it's time to quit. I think it's time to head back for a little R&R. &R. And who would have blamed him, right? Especially after all the opposition, persecution now that he has suffered in Iconium and Lystra. But the endurance of Paul and Barnabas, it just continues on into the next city where we come to number three, Derby where we see this determination of Paul and then transformation. Luke tells us in verse 20, in the next day he and Paul, that is Paul, departed with Barnabas to Derby. Now talk about determination. The next day, Paul walked some 60 miles to the city of Derby. We can't even walk around the block without huffing and puffing. He walked 60 miles after being stoned. I mean, this is unbelievable. How could he manage the 60-mile journey when he's just been stoned and left for dead the day before? We get a toenail and we cut or hurt finger or whatever. We can't come to church. He, he, he's walking to Derby, 60 miles. And I just love this here. Such determination does it not humble us. Does it not even shame us when we complain about our inconveniences and troubles in life? And what did Paul and Barnabas do in Derby? Oh, don't miss this. According to the rest of verse 20, they proclaimed the gospel and they made disciples. They proclaimed the gospel and they made disciples. Once again, lives are being changed through the power of the gospel. God opened people's hearts to believe and their lives were transformed. And I love how Luke says they made many disciples. That's what it means to become a Christian. You're a disciple. You're a learner. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is our church's mission. That's what we are all about is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to make followers of Jesus Christ who know Christ, who are growing in Christ, who show Christ, 
Christ and go with Christ. That's what we are. And don't miss the determination of Paul and Barnabas in the rest of verse 21 because it says they return, guess where? It comes full circle. They go back to these very same three cities that had just opposed them and persecuted them. In fact, when you look at this, Antioch opposed them, Iconium tried to kill them, and Lystra actually stoned him. And yet Paul and Barnabas go back to the very places where they face such great opposition and persecution in order to strengthen the disciples in these cities. What an amazing example of determination and endurance. So how does this impact us? I mean, what do we take away from this? Because this needs to be more than just an amazing adventure tale. This, this needs to radically impact our lives. We need to be gripped by this. And so let us leave here challenged by this one lesson. The mission of getting the gospel everywhere requires what? Endurance. There's no other way. And what we learn is that when opposition to the gospel increases, the need for endurance increases all the more. Say, so what is endurance? Just a simple definition there in your notes is sticking to the task regardless. And that's what we see with Paul and Barnabas. They stuck to the task regardless. And where does it come from? It comes from reliance on the Lord. Look at this here. Like Paul and Barnabas... May we rely on the Lord for the endurance to get the gospel here, there, and everywhere. I love how the New American Standard Bible translates verse 3 in this way. It says, therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord. Folks, it can't be any more simpler and clearer than that. That is the key to endurance. We don't endure in our own power. We endure in the power of the Holy Spirit within us. That's what opposition does. It makes you either run in fear or rely on the Lord. And the question is, what will opposition do to you? I pray that when opposition comes, that it will make you, it will drive you to rely on the Lord for the sake of getting the gospel here where you go to school where you work, where you live. There, around this city and beyond, and everywhere around the world. Let us embrace. Let us grab hold of the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 9. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God who is sovereign over our lives. That's the kind of God that will help us and sustain us as we follow him on this mission. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of endurance we see in Paul and Barnabas. And may we rely on you for our own endurance in these last days. Lord, help us to share the gospel with boldness. Help us to do it with courage in the face of increasing opposition. 
And if you're not a believer here this morning, I, I pray you will turn to the living God in the forgiveness of sins and eternal life that is found in his son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us all to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Zach and the praise team are going to sing a chorus. Of, and this is your time to respond, to go to the Lord and pray. Ask him to sustain you. Recommit yourself to relying on him. And when they're done, we'll take up our offering and be dismissed.